0: Good morning. Yeah, great job, guys. Thank you, Aiden and Silas, uh, for that. You know, you guys—you um, guys captured a real important truth here, right? That as long as you're doing it for the Lord, stealing is okay. Right? No, no, stealing is not okay. <laughs> okay, but if we take a step back for a moment and we think about the disciples. Right, this Just kind of picture in your mind the disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Aidan and Silas. <laughs> right, those, they have really good disciple names. <laughs> um, and we think about all the things that Jesus asked them to do in their three years together. Right, we realize, we see that they didn't, they didn't really understand, right? everything that that Jesus was asking them to do or leading them to. You know, I think when you think about them, like Jesus saying, go, right? Get a donkey and get a colt. I'm gonna ride into town. They're probably thinking, right, why? Why, Jesus, right? Can't we just walk into town like we normally do? Why the need for a donkey, right? Um, Today is Palm Sunday, And I think uh, these guys they introduced us to the Palm Sunday story really well. This is the first day of what we call passion week. Right? Passion week comes from the Greek word pasho. And pasho isn't probably what you think when you think of passion, you know, or inspiration or something like that. Passion, pasho, comes from the word to suffer. Right, to suffer. This is the week we remember Christ's sufferings and death. It's where we get the, where we get the, the phrase, right? Passion of the Christ. And we're going to remember Christ's suffering and his sacrifice this Friday, on, on Good Friday. And we are also going to celebrate, as Stephen said, his glorious resurrection next Sunday. But today we look at the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, right, with the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they lay their cloaks and they lay their palm, tree, their palm branches before him, right, and they welcome him and they receive him like a king. And yet we know how this story turns out, right? We know what happens four or five Six days later. And Aidan and Silas captured it in a, in a humorous way, but there's a real question here this morning that the disciples and others were trying to answer. Who is this man, Jesus, and what is he here for? And, and these are questions that, that remain with us today, right? 2,000 years later. Who is Jesus and what does he want? And so before we, we turn to our passage in Matthew this morning, let's, let's take a moment and pray. Father God, I ask the Lord that you would speak through me this morning. Um, it is wonderful to see the people here and to see their faces and to uh, be together. Um, it is wonderful to know Lord there are people watching online and I pray Lord that in this time that you would speak to our hearts Um, we come from all different places we've all had different weeks and experiences we're all in different emotional states Lord but we pray that you would center us around center us around your presence and your Holy Spirit and that you would speak to us and we would open our hearts to you And I pray, Lord, that um, my words would be your words, Lord, and your message would come through, and that would uh, remain with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21. Okay, our passage today, and it should be on the screen. It's also, I think, uh, in your program. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So after three years of ministry, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passover one last time, right? He's been to Jerusalem several times before with his disciples, but he knows this will be his last. He knows that he will be the Passover lamb and he enters on a donkey. Now, wh- what's the significance of the donkey, right? In Near Eastern and, and Mediterranean tradition, the donkey was a sign of humility and of peace. And this was as opposed to like um, the horse, for example. The horse conveyed strength and might. So if a king was bent on war, going to war, or to battle, he would ride in on a horse. But if he came in peace, he would ride in on a donkey. Now as Jesus rode in, we read that throngs of people lined the road. And they placed their cloaks and palm branches on the ground before him as a sign of victory. It was like a, like a coronation of a king or the return of a victorious general. Right? They shouted, Hosanna! And they praised God for sending them a Messiah who would save them. Now this would all have made sense if they understood who Jesus was and what he came to do. But we know they didn't understand. See, these same people who were hailing him as Messiah would be calling for his execution by the end of the week. So how do we make sense of this? As we read scripture, sometimes we, I think, right, we gloss over these things. We see Palm Sunday as a certain kind of celebration. And it is. But we need to understand why and how. Let me give you three observations from the passage, three observations about the people here. The first is that the people are fans, not followers. Many of the, many of the people that lined the streets in Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday were not followers of Jesus, they were fans. You know, what's the difference, you ask? Right? The dictionary defines a fan as an aficionado or an enthusiastic admirer. Right? Who here is a sports fan? Just by show of hands. Who's your favorite team? Just Trojans. Trojans. Bruins. Bruins. Oh, (laughs) now we've divided the church here. (laughs) Who else? Dodgers. Dodgers right, Yay! the world champion Dodgers, yeah, right, whoever your team is, even if they're Bruins, <laughs> right, you root for them, and you want to share in their victory, right, you want to, like, be close to the team and share in their victory, but can we agree that if you're a Dodgers fan, you're not going to step in the batter's, ba- the, the batter's box, right, and, and face a 100 mile per hour fastball, Right, on behalf of the team right if you're a if you're a football fan um, you're not going to step on the field right and be willing to take a hit <laughs> right, right from these fast angry linemen <laughs> fans don't do that right fans sit they drink their beer they watch the game they like <laughs> cheer for their team right i had when i was in college i had a friend he was actually a housemate um and he, he tried to walk on for the USC football team, right? <laughs> like, like uh, I like football. Like, let me try walk on for the team, right? And he told us that uh, the very first practice, one of the things, uh, the first thing that the coach asked him to do was he said, you see number 52 over there? I want you to run as hard and fast as you can and knock him down right? And so he's pointing to like a scholarship player. He's pointing to like the starting middle linebacker for the team. And the guy's like, he's like 6'4", 240, right? With a a serious mean streak. And these guys knew, right? These walk-ons, right? They knew they were in trouble. They knew that that they would run at him and he was going to turn, you know, he would turn and he would just smack them down and drive them into the ground. And obviously this was a test, right? The coach was putting them through a test. He wanted to see who was truly committed to being on this team. Who was willing to sacrifice his body for the team? And I think my friend Robert, he, he quit after two days. You see, there's a huge difference between being a fan of Jesus and an admirer of Jesus and a committed follower of his. If you were here at the church back in uh, 2017, we learned a little bit about this from this book, from Kyle Eidelman's book, "Not a Fan." Right? And the main premise of the book was that many in the church today are like fans. They want to be close enough to Jesus. They want to be close to the action, to get excited. They want to be engaged in worship, engaged in fellowship. They want to see and receive some of his blessing. But they don't want to be so close that it requires sacrifice. See, Jesus is not interested in having fans or admirers. He's just not. He wants followers, those committed to being with him. And this is costly. If you and I are to make Jesus our highest priority, then personal sacrifice, the changing around of our lives, how we spend our time, how we spend our resources, how we apply God's word to our lives, how we love and serve others, this is a given, right? Just look at the disciples. Christ hasn't come just to move around a few deck chairs in our lives and just to rearrange a few things. He has come to turn our lives upside down. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. Right? This was certainly not what the people lining the streets of Jerusalem that day, cheering on Jesus, had in mind. We're not called to be fans of Jesus. See, fans are fickle. right? Fans are flaky. I mean, I love the Trojans when they had the P. Carroll days and they were winning national championships and then after that, it was like, oh gosh, these guys are terrible, <laughs> right? And my, my fandom went, right? <laughs> went down. Leave. Let's leave our fandom, right, for sports teams and celebrities. Jesus is calling us to be committed followers of his. So these people were fans, not followers. Second, the people... The people don't really know who he is, right? And and this just partly flows from being a fan. For three years, they've seen him and heard about him. For three years, right, they've seen him do miracles. They they may have been there when he fed the 5,000, when he healed the sick, or when he taught in the synagogue. And yet they were still unclear about who he was. In verse 10, it says of our passage in Matthew 21: When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Right? Have you ever known someone for a long time, but at some point you realized you don't really know them? Like you've never really looked in their face, you've never really understood who they are? My first two, two years of high school, um, I had the same basketball coach yes i played basketball (laughs) if you're wondering right and i had the same basketball coach his coach the coach was named uh coach helmsley and he was actually one of my favorite coaches for all the years i played ball and for two and a half years he coached us day in and day out he taught us discipline he taught us skills he made us into a little bit better basketball players, right? But after our sophomore year, he didn't come back to the school. Now, we knew we weren't good, but <laughs> I don't know why he didn't come back. Right? He didn't come back to the school. He just stopped coaching, and we didn't, we didn't know why. Later, we learned that he was getting divorced, right? And, and he was going to lose his kids, and I thought, wow. We spent all this time with him, right? Summer league, fall training, basketball season, games, rallies, road trips. And yet, I never really knew him. Jesus' identity is a key theme here. It is, it is a key theme throughout the New Testament. If you're ever reading through the New Testament, right, and you're wondering, what are, what are people thinking? Why is this going on? Why are people asking the question of who Jesus is when he's just done these things, right? Realize that we have the benefit, right, of seeing the whole of scripture. But these in their time, these people, they didn't. The people, including the disciples, they're constantly, constantly in a process of trying to understand who he is. Just take a look back in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, verses 24 through 27. It says, Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? You see, even the disciples, right, they hadn't grasped Jesus' lordship. Further on in Matthew 16, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Right? He's referring to himself. And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Right? And you can see how confused the people are about who Jesus is. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. See, for many people today, Jesus' identity is still a question. You know, in the days leading up to Easter, like this week, right, Google searches about Jesus they rise significantly. And while many people do not question his historicity, that he was an actual person, they do question his divinity and his purity. This is tragic because as our cultural biblical understanding of who Jesus is decreases, things like sin and crime and divorce, and depression, and suicide, these things increase. See, life grows more unstable the farther we get from God. Contrary to popular opinion, right, the most important question in life isn't who will you marry, where will you live, right, what will you do for work? It's Jesus' question. Who do you say I am? And how we answer this question has eternal implications. Jesus was not a good man or a spiritual leader. He was the divine son of God sent to carry out the work of salvation on the cross. The third observation is that the people turn on Jesus when he doesn't meet their expectations. Right now, I'm getting a little ahead, right? Because this is what happens during the week after Palm Sunday. But why did the people line the road on Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday? Because they thought he was going to be a political and a military leader. Right? A savior that would rescue them from Roman oppression and establish his kingdom in their midst. And they misunderstood who he was and what he had come to do. It was was probably confusing to the people when Jesus rode in on a donkey instead of a strong white horse, right? Or a, a stallion. Even more confusing, was in the days to follow when Jesus would speak of suffering and of dying, right? And when he didn't fight back against the Roman authorities. See, they didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. In the Palm Sunday crowd, they loved Jesus for what they wanted him to be, not for what he was. And when he didn't meet their expectations, they turned. Right? And I think we see the same thing in our culture today. A lack of faith. A lack of belief in Jesus because he doesn't fit people's human ideology. And this doesn't keep people from trying to use Jesus as a symbol for their own political or their own social agenda. Now that may not be you and me. We may not be trying to do those things. But we all have a tendency to put Jesus inside of inside of a box. We make assumptions about who he is, who he should be, what he should do. We think if God is loving, this is how he should respond to my prayers. Right? If he cared for me, I wouldn't be going through this. If he's sovereign, This is what he should do, right? This is sometimes how, as humans, we think. And when he doesn't meet our expectations, it shakes our faith. We don't know if we believe in him anymore. We don't know if we trust his goodness or his faithfulness. See, one of the big questions for us is, will we be faithful when God doesn't show up the way we want him to? Will you stand strong if God doesn't answer your prayers the way you expect? Yeah, I hope so, right? But the people in Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, they didn't, right? They couldn't take it. Maybe another way of asking the question is, are we willing to let God be God? The people in Jerusalem could not accept Jesus for who he was. And they put him on trial. Right? They questioned what he was doing. They questioned his motives. When he wasn't what they thought he was, they put him on trial. In Romans 11, 33 and 34, Paul proclaims the wisdom of God and his sovereignty and how he works when he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Right? Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Right? And the obvious question is no one, none of us. Who are we right, to question God? We need to be careful about the assumptions we place on him. See, God is like this, right? Seeing all of these things and understanding time from beginning to end. Right? And we're like this, seeing this little perspective of life. Right? Who are we to question his wisdom and his actions? See, the people that day on Palm Sunday were fans, they weren't committed followers. They didn't understand who Jesus was and they turned on him. They embraced him one day and they condemned him the next. And they completely missed God's wonderful grace and mercy that Jesus came to bring. Right? And I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. God's grace and mercy, his love, right, and his sacrifice for us. On that day, Jesus rode a donkey, a symbol of peace, into Jerusalem with the cries of the crowd praising God for sending them a Messiah. Right, little did they know what kind of Messiah he would be. In fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, Jesus inaugurated his mission of peace and he opened the door to the kingdom of heaven to us. And I'll close with this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 2.9. And it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we, um, we come before you and um, uh, we are, um, I think, humbled, Lord, before you. And we just want to surrender to you. We want to come before you and uh, give ourselves to you now. Lord, we pray that you would continue to minister to us, encourage us, strengthen us, but help us to see clearly, to be sober about, Lord, what the truth is. And um, Lord, and to know uh, that your will is perfect and your ways are good and faithful. And so we thank you for your love. We thank you for who Jesus is and who, what he came to do. And we pray that you would uh, guide us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.